0: Welcome to the Truth Be Known Podcast, bringing you the objective truth, boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known Podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepzapornchai. Well, it's good to have you back again, brother. Uh, I I love doing these with you. Um, I know both of us are in areas where we probably don't get a whole lot of uh, interaction with other pastors, and so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 good to see you every week. That that's very
1: true. That is very true. And uh, and and for pastors, uh, we know that amongst pastors we need time of fellowship and and bonding and and conversation. And so this is a opportunity to knock out multiple birds with one stone, and at the same time share with the, uh, the larger church, um, some of the discussions that we have.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of that, we've got a great topic today. I think we're going to talk through the, the book of Jude. We're going to exposit the book of Jude uh, podcast style. So... <laughs> We'll see how that works. All right. But, uh, but anyway, you know, and I, as I was thinking about, um, by the way, I just decided we were going to do that this morning. Uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of racking my brain over uh, the various different topics we could cover. Generally, I know far out, although you don't. Um, right. I often just tell you, you know, the morning of or the morning <laughs> yeah. of, you know, but um, anyway, I appreciate you, your ability to do that. So. The book of Jude. Well, uh, the reason I thought we do the book of Jude is one. I think um, it, it's an incredibly important book to consider in today's world, um, and it gets overlooked, right? I mean, it's just one page in in your Bible for the you know, unless you have a teeny tiny one. It's a very short epistle, but it's a very powerful epistle. And then I thought the other thing is, you know, something we often hear all the time is how we just need to preach the gospel. We just need the gospel. We just need to talk about the gospel. We just need to preach the gospel. And even you and I often um, you know, will tweet things out that talk about the supremacy of the gospel and the need um, for the gospel. But then there are other things that we have to do as Christians besides talk about the gospel, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, and, and it's still related to
1: the gospel. So, I mean, even when you look at the book of Jude, um, there, there's less about just um, just the, the gospel message itself, but really defending the faith, defending the truth, which, of course, the gospel is a big part of that. And so, as pastors and really as the larger Christian church, anyone who's a believer, um, you, you want to not only be a witness for Christ, but I think you want to be also ready to defend uh, the, the faith when it's under attack, and especially from the inside.
0: Yeah, and I love the book of Jude, and actually, the book of Jude was the book that I planted my church, started (laughs) preaching in. I I don't know if I would recommend that necessarily (laughs) uh, to anyone planting a church, but in any case, um, you know, in verse 3, Jude makes this powerful statement that, that might be a bit shocking to some, right? He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. That's a powerful statement, um, and, it, and it's an interesting one, because here you have Jude who sat down, presumably, to write about the gospel, to write about the Christian faith, their common salvation, and he was urged by the Holy Spirit rather to write something different than what he set out to write originally. And that was that they fight for the faith, which was handed down to them by the saints. That's an interesting introduction to the letter.
1: Yeah, it is. And and even before then, I'm I'm looking back at verse one, he's introducing himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Um, It says bondservant, most of the translations say bondservant, but that is undoubtedly the word uh, slave. And I want to bring that up for this reason, because the apostles and the disciples often refer to themselves in this way. And so, when we get to that command in verse 3, this is really what we do as a slave of Christ. Uh, We we follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We certainly uh, preach the gospel, we witness, but we also defend the faith. We contend earnestly, as, as it's being said here. And if Jude had just written about their common salvation certainly there would have been much to be edified from that um you know you read books like the the book of romans the book of romans really just goes deep into the gospel and and then you could spend your, the rest of your life just just uh, exploring all the nooks and crannies of, of what constitutes the the magnificent gospel that we have but there are and there are times to do that it's not to say that that that, that needs to be pushed aside um, but at any given moment there may be a more pressing need which is to defend against the attacks um to defend the the faith, and that's what Jude is calling for, and so we we have to recognize that need as well because this is something that um, a lot of people will say. Well, you're being divisive. You know, you're you're being unloving. You're being unkind. Um, but we see right here in the book of Jude, and really a lot of the letters, especially the ones written later um, in the time period of the New Testament, that are warning against false teachers and false prophets. In fact, I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was you, but someone said that um, every single book of the New Testament, except for one, has some sort of warning against false teachers.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and it's interesting. So we do both of these things all the time, right? We proclaim the gospel, we promote the gospel, um, and we defend the faith. And it, interesting, I just, I, you know, I always found it interesting that Jude doesn't reference his his familial relationship to jesus right so he's a half brother of jesus but he doesn't say that uh and rather he he says says, a slave slave right so it's just interesting but so he goes on from there and then he and then he starts talking about why he's writing this letter to contend and i think in the world of you must be nice right um we need this letter from jude um far too often i i think we we end up on you know two sides uh, of of the ditch, we either don't defend the faith because it doesn't seem nice to us, or we're jerks, yeah. um, and we want to avoid either one of those things. And really, he touches on kind of both of those things in in some shape or form in the letter. But he goes on to say that the reason he's writing that they would contend earnestly for the faith, it, we find in verse four, he says, "For certain persons have crept in unnoticed." Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons, and what do they do? They turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, and they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting because, I mean, it, he's, it, he's basically letting us know that people who creep into the church and who do these things, they aren't coming in with a big red flag, waving, saying, here I am, here I am, Right. I mean, if they came in unnoticed, that means that when they came in, they looked like a Christian. They talked like a Christian. They did things that Christians do, right? And so they weren't noticeable until you start discovering the fruit of their life, the things that they're doing and the things that they're saying. And I think sometimes uh, in our current society, at least in the Western world, if someone says they're a Christian, right? It's just, that's it. They're absolutely, they must be a Christian. Uh, You're not allowed to look at what they're doing or the fruit of their life. Now, we want to be careful that we don't become quote unquote fruit inspectors and that we're deciding who is and isn't saved, but we've gone to the other extreme where I think we no longer can be on guard in the body of Christ.
1: Yeah, and this warning also we find throughout the, the Bible. I mean, first of all, we know Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. In fact, he not only can, but he does, and his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Jesus uh, and I'm thinking of Matthew chapter I think it's seven where he talks about um, how how the false prophets are are basically wolves in sheep's clothing right so you got to be yeah. aware of them and so we we see that um, warning often and and because sheep because they have to dis- they have to disguise themselves as sheep in order to look like one of us and so the lesson just in those just those word pictures right there is, is that the uh, the the attacks from the inside. Um, They're sneaky because the people who are bringing those attacks, they look like us and they convince people that they are one of us. You know, and that's the the reason why later, you know, in the book of first John chapter two, verse 19, John has to say that they went out from us because they were never truly of us. Right. Um, So we, we have to recognize that these attacks from Satan come from the inside. That's his modus operandi. That's how he operates. And so, we have to be careful of that. And the way we discern it is by their actions. It's by their words. It's about it's just by their activities. And, you know, sometimes um, there could be maybe a, a Christian who's just um, being led astray for a season, who's uh, bringing in um, teaching that that is unhelpful, that is leading people astray, and that needs to be called out. Um, now, I don't always know at the moment whether a person is in the faith or not, um, but you know when you confront them with biblical truth, how are they going to respond? Yeah. You know, do they continue to deny biblical truth and start bringing in their own destructive heresies, um, or uh, you know, do they repent? Uh, and so, you know, as you said, you know, we we tend to almost treat this like a black and white issue, like it's one of two extremes. Either this must be um, a heretic that we have to condemn right away, or this must be a Christian because they claim to be a Christian. And really, the truth is is that that. It's rarely um, those one of those two extremes, but usually somewhere in between. And we have to. This is where nuance actually matters, right? We have to try to discern the situation, um, uh, give some give some grace, but at the same time stand firm upon the truth.
0: Yeah, and I think it, you know, to be honest, if your character is such that you love the body of Christ, then you're going to do two things when you hear un- unbiblical teachings or you know people uh, in the church who may- maybe they're. Yeah, maybe they're bringing in some strange doctrines. One, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are Christian. And two, because you love them. Right, you, you're going to lovingly oppose the, the wrong view, or or you know ask questions, take them to scripture, and see how they respond. You yeah. you do both of those things simultaneously, right? Um, the the quote unquote eleventh commandment of being nice would say no, you you don't address the issue. Well, that's not the thing to do. And of course, the other thing that we don't do is instantly assume you know they're a heretic. That's also not the thing to do. So we, we can right. confront them and give them the benefit of the doubt at the same time and i think that's what we need to do and what we have to do that's the loving thing to do of course so to come right. back to your heart motivation right but it's interesting because he he, he defines their character here by calling them ungodly persons who mm-hmm. turn the grace of our god into licentiousness now that is very interesting because we see a whole lot of this same type of thing in the church today people who cry grace, 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 so much so that they excuse sin. I'll give you one practical real-life example. Those who say you can be gay Christians, that is exactly what they're doing. They are turning the grace of God into licentiousness. Now, we say licentiousness. What does that mean for folks that might not be familiar with that word?
1: yeah licentiousness i mean this is um this is uh, a lot of having to do with immorality right it's uh, your it's uh, it's activity that uh, that dishonors god um, it's sensual conduct it's the kind of thing that um that that we would expect the world to engage in it's indulging the, the flesh um that's that's how i see that word
0: yeah, exactly. And 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 in a broader sense, it's lawlessness, right? So it's those, it, it's when Paul addresses, um, I can't remember which letter it's in now, but he talks about should we continue to sin so that grace would abound? By no means, yeah. right? These are people who have basically taken the position, okay, well, God loves us and he's forgiven our sin, and so we can just kind of do what we want. Hence, you get groups of people uh, who excuse homosexuality and still claim they're Christian and they still allow that. In the church that would fit i believe in this category of ungodly people who turn the grace of god into licentiousness um
1: right and this is not about attacking certain people or to try to bring violence upon them but but it's about standing firm upon what we know is true in the scriptures and this is a case where when people are encouraging behavior that we know is unbiblical well we have a problem and this reminds me of when i went to this kind of um a uh, dialogue, uh, quote unquote, dialogue at a church, and I was a brand new believer. It was it was a different church than the one I was attending, but the pastor had invited a homosexual minister there to basically present his case for why um, homosexuality um, shouldn't be an issue, and uh, and he basically looked at the um, at the audience at one point and said, "Jesus doesn't care about your theology. What he cares about is that you love is that you love one another. Read the Gospels." And it was it was such a I, to, to anyone with any kind of discernment, you can see just how self-defeating that statement is, um, but if you don't know the scriptures, it sounds like a very emotional plea and a very loving plea, mm-hmm. um, but but that's the kind of example where it's very clear that what's being taught in the scriptures is being ignored, and really, people are appealing to feelings and emotions and basically whatever just makes you happy, whatever uh, whatever makes you feel good.
0: Yeah, and, and Jude kind of gets into that. Uh, it's a good point that you make where… where it, you know, our goal in pointing these things out are not to attack any particular group of people, although, you know, we both preach messages against homosexuality right. and how God right. views that. Um, And we're not justifying that absolutely in any way. It's an abomination before the Lord. But just like I I tweeted recently that homosexuals are not our enemy. They are a mission field, right? right? And we need to keep that in mind. But we need to be very clear when we read through a book like the book of Jude and just understand the dangers and warnings because in the end, Jude actually talks about how we deal with these people. And so we're going to get there. But before he gets to that, He's just laying out the dangers of people that come into the church who aren't believers and bring destructive heresies and teachings. Now, it's interesting. So, Jude goes on into the next several verses, uh, five to seven or eight or so, and he's giving uh, past examples of God bringing judgment on people who have, right, uh, who, who have turned aside from truth. He, he goes on to say, now, I desire to remind you Though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. That, that's a strong yeah. and powerful warning. I mean, he's basically saying, don't forget that the, the people that God saved by his miraculous hand out of Egypt subsequently went on to destroy them because of their unfaithfulness. Many of yeah. them. Right yeah, yeah exactly, and this is um and a side note, this
1: is why we don't unhitch from the Old Testament right yeah um, we we absolutely. need to understand the the Old Testament to be able to make uh, make sense of these statements, and I often tell people, you know you you most kids uh, most of people People our age, we remember um, being younger and watching that movie, The Prince of Egypt, which was a very well done animated flick about Moses going in and the ten plagues and and Israel, the the Israelites uh, escaping uh, the bonds of slavery from from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Uh, but what I often point out to people is that they don't they they often don't show you what happens next, and that's basically they you know they go to Mount Sinai, they receive the ten commandments, um, and then they go to the promised land, and then they fail to believe. But even before then, they created a golden calf, yeah. and, and there was. Um, there was, I believe, thousands that were slain after that uh, by Moses because they refused to repent, and then they go into the promised land, they refu- they don't believe God, and then for 40 years, God is basically killing off that first generation, raising yeah. up a second generation. So, yeah, that's the story that people often don't tell, and that's those are the stories that we need to be able to understand because the, that… Those kinds of stories help us to understand the holiness of God and how he responds to unbelief, uh, rebellion, um, even, even having witnessed uh, the mighty saving hand um, that they witnessed in delivering them out of Egypt.
0: Yeah, and I, and this is the example Jews giving. And what's really interesting is if you go back and you look at the trek the Israelites made from Egypt uh, to the Promised Land, you actually find that God suffered their disobedience 10 different times. before ultimately bringing them to uh, this kind of final judgment there and to which Jude is pointing out. But so you have God's own people who Jude points to, right? Um, Then he points to the angels who didn't keep their own domain in verse six. And then in verse seven, he points out, sodom and gomorrah now since we've already mentioned homosexuality i want to just read that passage and maybe give a little bit of an apologetic for something i've been saying a lot lately of course it's june right and so everyone this is the month the the world celebrates that particular sin but one of the pushbacks uh, that i hear all the time is well sodom and gomorrah got destroyed for their lack of hospitality That is such an utterly ridiculous claim um, that you almost don't want to address it, except um, I've seen it cause confusion amongst people. Jude tells you exactly why here they got destroyed. First of all, he's using them as an example of God's judgment. Mm -hmm. He says in seven, Justice, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. That's pretty crystal clear, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then he goes on to say, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So, again, Jude starting out, he's saying, I wanted to talk to you about our common salvation, but there's something more important right now, and that's that you contend earnestly for the faith. And uh, you need to understand that people have crept in, and they're turning the grace of God into lawlessness, and they're denying Jesus Christ. And by the way, here are some examples of people who have done this same thing in the past, and this is what happened to them, right? God destroyed a whole generation of his own people a- after saving them. The angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, you know, he destroyed them. These are, this is a really weighty epistle at the beginning, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is, and uh, and just to add on top of the gross immorality that characterized Sodom and Gomorrah, that Greek word for immorality is Um, ek porno. um That's that's a verb, but it shares the same root uh, from where we get the word pornography. Pornography. Right? Yeah. Um, so so this is not about hospita- hospitality. In fact, it it even spells it out that gross immorality in which they went after strange flesh. Um, so so they went after that which was not natural. They they went after um, that which they should not have, um, and uh, and of course we we have passages like Romans that, that talks about how um, men and women exchange what was natural for what was unnatural. Uh, you, you have other stories in the Old Testament. The, the book of Judges um, ends with a very similar sins as Sodom and Gomorrah that almost led yeah. uh, Israel into civil war um, before they were rescued from that. And uh, and so, yeah, we, we see this over and over again. And, and the confusion, and especially now in Pride Month, the, the confusion that, that results, it's not a confusion over what the scriptures actually say it's a confusion because people are trying to make it something that it is actually not. And inhospitality, sure, inhospitality is um, is is a sin. All right, if you're being inhospitable towards people, um, it's not the kind of sin that you would associate with the um, the the advanced uh, deviancy uh, of a society, right, that um, that has continually continued to rebel against God, and and it's not the kind of sin that you would expect to be associated with with the, the kind of judgment, right, that that yeah. God uh, poured out upon Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and uh, and that we saw in Israel in the Book of Judges and, and elsewhere. So th- this is uh, it is very clear um, it, by turning to strange flesh by indulging, and this is part of the licentious, licentiousness being being uh, being talked about. But when we go after these things and try to justify them as being okay with god well we are uh, essentially undermining the faith
0: yeah and it's just interesting that this example is in the book of jude um and we're in the middle of pride month this wasn't planned but I mean, we do need to understand that if people are bringing this in uh, to the church and saying that this is okay and trying to justify it, I, I mean, we have an epistle that deals with this explicitly, right? I mean, right here we're reading it. Mm-hmm. So Jude goes on. Oh, I want to make make our continue make our way. So he's giving this comparison of past examples of God's judgment on those who have. Um, turned aside from truth, who have perverted God's holiness and that sort of thing. And then he goes on to talk about what's happening in his own day. And he says, yet in the same way, in other words, men right now, in the same way that these in the past have done, these now are doing the same thing by dreaming, by defiling the flesh, by rejecting authority, by reviling angelic majesties and and so he's saying that um you you know nothing's new under the sun right Right. the same things people have done in the past they're doing now and we need to be on guard from these men now i think i spent like um i don't know two months on these few passages uh, just really explaining everything that he's meaning we're not going to go through all of that but you know, I but we see this today, right? Men who were dreaming dreams, and you, you look up the reference to that, and I, I mean, it can mean a couple different things, but certainly includes the men who claim to get dreams from God and dreams from the Lord, and, you know, God's told them this thing or that thing. We certainly have that in the church today. Defiling the flesh, we've talked about that. It, you know, that's an interesting one because w- there are other strange um, things that have crept up in 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 the church as of late i don't know how big they are but there there was this um i I forget what you call it now poly whatever multiple marriages uh from polyamory or something like that yeah yeah, polyamory I I, i mean we have the mormons right but there was for a little bit of time this kind of oh yeah god's okay with this um i i have seen um oh, goodness. Anyway, actually, that's so vulgar, I I can't even say it on the air. But um, there's just a lot of perversion that now people are trying to say, you know, actually, we're Christians, but we're indulging in this kind of lifestyle and God's okay with it. That's just not true. Rejecting authority. Now, that's an interesting one, right? Because there is an inherent authority within the church that is God-ordained and appropriate. We're, We're not talking about the cults where the pastor tells everyone who they can marry and who they can't marry, and you know, all this kind of thing. But there is a an expectation of respect and submission to authority when that authority is itself submitted to the Word of God in the church, right? And we see a lot of reviling of that kind of thing. Um, I mean, mm. for instance, the general body of Christ is told, right? To submit to your elders so yeah. that it may go well with you for they look after your souls. I paraphrase that, right? Um, and so, he's saying that men who have a flat-out rejection of that are also problematic. Reviling angelic majesties, there are a few different things that could be, but I'll give you one good example. People going around saying that they see uh, angels eating cheeseburgers hanging up in their rafters, and they're just admiring the worship of men, That that's pretty sickening. It's certainly reviling angelic majesties. Um, Another one, Bethel Church. uh, I'm trying to think of her name. Jen Johnson, I think it is, um, who helps with the youth ministry there. I mean, she did a talk some time ago. You can find it all over online where she joked about envisioning the angels that encircled the throne of God, crying, holy, 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 how they probably have farting contests around the throne of God. She said that. Publicly, wow. you, you can search it on YouTube. You can watch the whole message. I th- that is absolutely reviling the holy things of God and uh, angelic majesties. And so we actually do have a lot of this stuff today. I think guys in our circles probably aren't as familiar with that kind of thing, but we do get a lot of things like rejecting authority. We do find a lot of guys, even in the reform camp, who seem to not want to. Plug in and submit to a local church and and local elders. And so we need to be careful over that kind of thing.
1: Yes, yeah, spiritual authorities are put into place uh, by God. Um, Jesus Christ uh, in John chapter 10 said he is the good shepherd, but he, not only Jesus Christ, but even as Jesus spoke to Peter at the end of the book of John, uh, he asked him three times, uh, Peter, do you love me? And, and each time Peter said yes, and each time Jesus would respond back with tend my sheep, uh, feed feed my my flock. And uh, even in first Peter chapter five, he makes an appeal to fellow shepherds, uh, fellow elders to to shepherd the flock. And so, that's a responsibility given uh, to certain men um, to oversee the flock, but that also assumes that that flock are, um, are obeying the, the shepherd as they would obey Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that they treat the shepherd like Christ, but they follow and, and obey the shepherd as long as they recognize the commands and, and the authority of Jesus Christ uh, shining through that person.
0: Yeah, and what Jude's talking about here are guys that would be confrontational and in opposition to yeah. authority, right? And so, absolutely, even as pastors, we want people if they have questions or even if they disagree with us, absolutely, come and talk to yeah. us. But we're not infallible, right? Yeah. Um, and I I welcome anyone to challenge anything that I teach. It's just if you're going to do that, then come with your open Bible, right? You know, and right. and let's dig into the Word of God, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me add to that because I think that's a great point. Um. Especially Especially for any
1: pastors, uh, fellow pastors that may be listening, um, do not ever make it uncomfortable for people in your church to be able to ask you questions when they don't agree or or they kind of question something that you taught. Um, The the Word of God is our ultimate standard, and uh, it's not our teaching that is infallible, it's the Word of God that's infallible. And so we want to lift up the Word of God and invite people to be able to challenge us, if um, if they think that uh, we're wrong, and if they do think we're wrong, we should be able to open up the scriptures and be able to explain why we believe what we believe. Um, so, d- don't discourage that. I think the moment we start to discourage that, we start to become more and more like those cults who do the exact same thing, where they basically tell uh, tell their their people not to question anything, yeah. but to accept everything that they they hear as um, yeah. as fact, as truth, as if it we were spoken directly from God Himself.
0: Yeah, we aren't the Catholic Church where whatever the Pope says, basically they say, credo, I believe. Right. Um, it, you know, this is, we, we need to remember the Apostle Paul actually attributed honor to the Bereans because they went back and tested his message. Yep. And, and so we want our congregations to love the Word of God enough. That if they see something that they think conflicts with our own message, that they're willing to come and say, "Can you help me understand? Because I think the Bible says this." I, I mean, if you have a congregation that will do that, I, I mean, that's that's a blessing, right? We're not talking about in a contentious way. There, there's obviously a right way to do that, um, but but we we don't want to discourage that, as you say. Now. So, we we go on in the book of Jude, and he gives us some more examples. He says that the, the men he's just talked about, that they are reviling things because they don't understand them. And the things which they know by instinct, he says, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Uh, the book of Jude is not an 11th commandment epistle, right? Yeah. It, it is not thou shalt be nice. He he is encouraging people to stand for truth. It's a book about contending for the truth. And he goes on to say in 11, woe to them. And then he gives some more examples. In fact, he, uh, he gives two or three more, right? He says, they've gone the way of Cain, and for pay, they've rushed headlong into the era of Balaam, and they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Let's just take a second and look at these three um, instances, because I think they're pretty important. And we still see these things happening in the church today. Yeah. Um, it, you know, Cain is an interesting one. When you go back and you look at Cain, there are a lot of problems there. But effectively, Cain comes to the place where, well, what happens with Cain, right? He He brings his offering and it's not accepted, right? And, and that's kind of the starting point well, I, I think, and you, you may have a different perspective on this, but when you look back uh, to Cain and in the context of Jude, I think really what he 's pointing out here is that Cain was unwilling to worship God the way God wanted to be worshipped mm.
1: and that that could very well be, yeah, because their their method of worship um, God had regard for Abel, but not for for Cain, so I, I think there's uh, there's something to that yeah
0: and and I say that because I think we have to understand look there, there, there were just a couple people living. Um, we have to, I think we have to rightly expect and assume that Adam and Eve would have communicated well, if not God himself, um, to Cain and Abel the type of sacrifice God wanted, right? I mean, otherwise, how would Abel have known what to bring? So, they would have known God's expectation. If they didn't have known that, then God actually would have been unjust in how he responded to Cain. So when you right. see how God responds to Cain, I think it's very clear and it's a right assumption that Cain actually knew what he should have done. And he didn't do that thing. Right. And, and it's worth pointing out that, um, you know, when Cain
1: brought that offering that was not uh, that was not regarded by God. God didn't immediately judge him. God gave him an opportunity to repent to that. I mean, he—that's when he warned him um, to, to be to be uh, wary that sin is crouching at the door, um, ready to, to pounce upon him. So he had an opportunity to repent, uh, but instead he he took that uh, bitterness and, and and used that to, uh, to to fuel him towards the sin of murder of his own brother.
0: Yeah, and ultimately that's where it it went. And so the beginning of that was Cain bringing an uh, an offering that was unacceptable to God. Cain decided to worship God in a way that God did not want to be worshiped. And I think that's what he's pointing out here. Now, that's a big deal in the church today, right? I mean, you've got people kind of all over who want to worship God the way they want to worship God. Yeah, But God says, and he gives us parameters, right, for how he wants to be worshiped. And so, and this is, you know, where where one day maybe we'll do one on the regulative and normative principles of worship. That, that'd probably be a good conversation to have. We don't even mm-hmm. talk about those things much in the church anymore. Um, we're, we're too busy to trying to tell guys that they shouldn't have strippers uh, on their platforms on Sunday mornings, like uh, what is that? Uh, I called them Satan in the Glade, Church of the Glade, yeah, church or whatever of Glades, they are. That's yeah, yeah. an absolutely abomination. But they're a good example. Actually, I'll just use them as a good example. Um, yeah, they,
1: they, they have secular music as worship music, and they have all kinds of dance routines that that if you walked in, you would not think that you were in a church. You would think you would watch you're watching that the making of a secular music video or or some sort of secular entertainment concert or something like that.
0: Yeah, and they've had sensual stuff on the stage and just all kind of abominable things. Right, right. They, in my mind, would really fit in this exact same example. Um, that Jude is pointing to in Cain, but he's not the only one. He goes on to say, and for pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. Well, wh- oh, tell us a little bit about Balaam. He's not brought up much, and a lot of guys probably aren't overly familiar with the story, but that's an interesting one. So one, he, he's pointing out wrong worship. Now he's pointing out something that has to do with money. For pay, what's that about? Yeah,
1: yeah. Balaam was a um, was a prophet, not a prophet of God, but he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Um, in the book of Numbers, he appears, and uh, he is called up by a king to essentially curse Israel. Um, but God takes takes over for him and uh, refuses to allow him to curse Israel. Uh, but we find out later that uh, he he continued and, and persisted and led uh, some of the Israelites in, into into sin, and and he did it really um, for uh, for
0: profit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the whole thing. So the king um, sends messengers to Balaam and offer to pay him that's right. to curse the Israelites. Now this is interesting because at the beginning he says no, and then he tries to find a workaround so that he can do it because he wants money. Three times, if I remember correctly, God denies him the freedom to curse Israel, and three times he goes behind God's word and tries to find out a way. Because he wants to get paid. And so there's a, a very clear warning here for people who are doing what they're doing in the church for pay. And, you know, we can think of several examples that we know, the, the Benny Hinn's, right, of, of our day and the Kenneth Copeland's of our day. Right. And, then, and we have new another one, Joel Osteen undoubtedly Mm -hmm. fits in this category, right? He refuses to talk about sin. He just gives, you know, 10-minute sermonettes for Christianettes. I heard that somewhere recently, and I liked it. Um, But he does, right? He gives a feel-good message, um, and they rake in millions and millions and millions of dollars. And here's a warning from Jude, um, because in the end, Balaam is killed because of his wickedness. And you're right, in the end, what happens is, is he's he's never able to directly curse Israel. So what does he do? He comes up with the scheme of introducing uh, women that the Israelites are not allowed to mix with right. into and brings in um, marriages that God has per uh, uh, has forbidden yeah. and sexual immorality. And because of that, um, their choice to indulge in that, God judges them for that. And so, and and of course, he he's he's killed uh, because of that. Pretty heavy warning there. And then the third one is they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. And I think this goes back to earlier where Jude talks about those who reject the reject authority. authority, right? Yep. Right. Tell us a little bit about Korah. What happened? Yeah, there? I mean, I, Korah, Korah um,
1: this uh, was a, a group of folks, uh, an individual, but also other folks who uh, basically rebelled against the authority that was given to Moses um, over the people. and And I believe they may have even also rebelled against Aaron and Miriam as well. Um, so they just questioned uh, basically the leaders that God had put into place and, and felt that they could do better. And uh, in that rebellion, God is the one that that judged them. Yeah, I mean, he
0: opened the ground and swallowed them up in that. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about Korah is kind of the way he did that and, and the phrases that he uses. In fact, if you go back and you read that instance of Korah, you'll find somewhere in there where he makes the statement. Basically, he says, well, who are you? Has God not gifted all of us? Does God not speak to us too? And that's how he starts off questioning the authority of Moses, right? I mean, we've never heard that in the modern church today, right? Well, you're not the only gifted one in the church. You know, who who made you the pastor? Who made you the elder? Who made you the deacon? Right. You know, uh, why why do you get to teach Sunday school? Uh, you know, we all have God's word. Well, that that that's what Korah used to, to begin and question authority. And of course, you know the problem is that um, it was known that Moses was chosen by God, and uh, and of course he rose up. And the end was that God opened up the ground and just swallowed him into the earth. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. basically caused an earthquake specifically for them, and they got sucked into the ground. However, that worked. That that's a pretty um, that's a pretty intense warning, right? To use these three examples. Um, yeah, and, and these are uh, these are
1: just three examples. We can come up with uh, so many more. I'm sure Jude could have come up with so many more um, in this letter. I mean, I think of um, the the strange fire incident right in the book of Leviticus. Hmm. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, they offered up a fire that was not prescribed by God. And when you look at the end of the book of Exodus, right before Leviticus, I think it's in chapter nine. You you, you see all these things that the Israelites did in constructing the tabernacle, and you see the phrase repeated over and over again. They did it just as it was instructed to um, by the Lord to Moses, just as it was instructed uh, to to moses by the lord so it was repeated over and over again Then suddenly you get to that verse and they do something that was not prescribed by by god so we have those examples um Ananias and sapphira um john in in the letter that's a good new epistles. testament one
0: Ananias that's right, and Sapphira, that's not
1: Old Testament. Yep, that's right, that's right. And in the New Testament also, John talks about how certain individuals uh, refuse to um, acknowledge his authority. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul has uh, mentioned that as well. Um, and, uh, and even when he talks about the, um, the spiritual gifts at the end of chapter 14, he goes on to say that uh, those who, um, you know, those who reject my, my teaching here, you are to reject them. Right. So, yeah. so um, Paul was very much used to uh, second Corinthians too. very much of uh, these super apostles um, who are putting themselves over Paul. Um, so, yeah, we do see this uh, problem all throughout the Bible. We see it all today. So I mean, it's the the, the false worship. It's the um, it's the motivation for for money and greed and and fame and fortune. And then it's just the questioning of authority and wanting to do things your way. When really we all should be seeking to do things God's way.
0: Yeah, and so these are things that we have to look out for today. You, you know, when we are in some practical, you know, just to try to bring this into a practical application. Um, some of the places that these would matter and we would want to ask questions are like, what, what kind of preachers are we listening to? You know, are, are you listening to John MacArthur? Uh, are you listening to Stephen Furtick? For instance, right. right. Are, are, are you, are you feeding yourself? Um, well, first of all, you should be primarily getting fed at your own local church yep. and and your pastor whom you are submitted to in your local church is the best pastor that you have and that you have access to because he is the one that is caring for your soul, right? Now, outside of that, we ask the question, and and you should make sure you're in a church where the pastor that you're sitting under loves God's word and is committed to God's word um, and isn't teaching these things as well. You know, love the pastor that you're sitting under. That's God's got you there. And he's the one that God has looking after your soul. But who are you listening to outside of that? Right And you need to be asking those questions. I, I saw a guy um, i don't I don't remember who he was, but it was a tweet this morning. Uh, got up, and I was just kind of looking through. I haven't been on a whole lot in the last you know week or so, and he said something to the effect of um, we don't have to agree with all the theology to listen to music from Places like Bethel and uh, Elevation, and he named a couple of those churches. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think it was on Facebook. I saw that, and and I just thought, okay, this is where the Book of Jude would be extremely helpful for people, right? Um, Because when you look at where that music's coming from, you find guys who reject God's authority, who reject the authority of the church. You find guys who revile angelic majesties. You, You find guys who excuse sin right? Uh, some of them uh, just teach plain, flat-out heresy. Um, uh, others, you see the motivation of money and things like that in their ministries. And so, yeah, um, it, it, we shouldn't be listening, filling ourselves with that kind of thing. And, and when we talk about music, I think, uh, and, and you can speak to this, I, I, think, I think you'll agree with this, You know, what we fill ourselves with is what we're training ourselves to believe. And so, if you're listening to bad theology and lyrics, first of all, you're training yourself to believe that bad theology, right? Um, Second of all, you're supporting places that are heretical, right? You're, You're giving credence to their music. You're in some way authenticating their existence, Uh, by listening to their worship so if you're filling your mind with lyrics that are you know jesus loves me um seven times you know uh seven and that's your song then really you're learning that your um relationship with christ is all about you for instance and it's not speak to that yeah, there,
1: there, you know, there's a couple of issues. I mean, one, obviously, um, if music has uh, bad lyrics that, uh, that reflect bad theology, that needs to be rejected outright. Um, but, you know, in the case uh, of some of these mega churches, um, I think you'll find a lot of the songs, you won't find anything theologically wrong with the songs. Now, oftentimes, they're a little bit on the shallow side. Um, but that should raise even more red flags that they're associated with a church that teaches so much heresy and yet, they deliberately put out songs that are more biblical. That's intentional, folks. Um, that that's that music is being used as as a marketing arm. I mean, if they're really being honest uh, in terms of the music and and the teaching, the music should reflect the teaching. And if they really believe those heresies, put those heresies right into the songs. But they don't do that. Yeah. So I think I think that's that's actually um, very um, deceptive. Um, they're they're trying to lead uh, lead people astray in that way, yeah. um, but also a lot of the music today too that is very shallow, just kind of stays on the surface, and repeats a lot of um, kind of sentimental lyrics over and over again. What they're doing is that they're appealing to emotion, and uh, and I remember seeing a clip uh, a little snippet of the recent um, uh, documentary on on Hillsong Church, and I didn't see the entire documentary, but this little snippet was very um, insightful. It was talking about how. The um, that the method that the method at least the philosophy of mu- uh, of ministry from a music perspective at, at Hillsong was really to make their music sound like some of the most popular contemporary music of that time. Yeah, and and that by itself may not sound all that bad, but really what they were trying to do is they're they're trying to um, they're they're trying to draw you in with sound and not necessarily lyrics. They're, they're trying to draw you into worship with uh, with a, with a feeling rather than what what's being spoken. Um, and so th- all of this. Um, starts to take more attention away from really just the holiness of God, and, and sometimes emphasizes too much um, the way we feel and what it is that we want um, and, and desire. But most definitely, I, one of the most common, um, you know, questions I get back is, oh, okay, well, are we are we going to analyze every single writer of every single hymn now for their theology?" And I say, and I often say, "Well, in this case, this is unique because we're talking about." modern day mm-hmm. um, mega churches if they're that,
0: living yes
1: yes if they if they're living they're, they're if, drawing people in if they're in. dead maybe not right right yeah so it, it's a big it's a, it is a big deal because we're talking about mega churches large churches that that we certainly wouldn't uh, we we would condemn anyone from going to we wouldn't recommend these churches we would stand against their teaching and so then to invite their music it's almost like um, asking a uh, known heretic to come and preach at your at your church as long as he doesn't preach his heresies
0: yeah right? that, yeah that that's a good example i mean would you let joel osteen preach in in your church no why not well then why listen to the music that he's putting out or you know stephen furtick elevation right you wouldn't let stephen furtick preach in your church um, if you wouldn't do that, then why on earth would you expose yourself to their music? And I think this is why the book of Jude is so critical, because again, you go back to verse four, and he says that these people have crept in unnoticed, and this is how they do it, right? They come in unnoticed because they sing worship songs. Some of them that are so shallow that it's sort of like the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It's so shallow that anyone's a Christian can agree with it. Yeah, it, you can tell I don't really like the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. But anyway, if you're not in the SBC, it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, it, it, but really, this is how the, and this is why we. This is how they come in unnoticed, and this is why we need to be a discerning people. This is why we can't just believe when someone says oh yeah i'm a christian pastor i'm a christian that that's great and i'll give them the benefit of the the doubt but i also want to see their life and what they're teaching um and if if you can if if you have a worldwide known uh music band that's uh, a christian band and the types of songs that you're putting out are you know jesus loves me jesus loves me jesus loves me uh 800 times i i'm I, I want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what's happening is this, the repetitive nature of that is just to create an emotional thing. And and then you go and you look at what they teach, and some of them believe in modalism, which is a heresy. Some of them teach that Jesus was only a man. I mean, you you Bill Johnson is all kind of mix of heresy, Apollinarianism, and all kind of other stuff you find there. and you, And then you think, oh, well, you know what your teenage son or daughter is uh, enjoying is, is this music they're, they're copying from the world. And then what happens next? They go look up something on YouTube from Bethel Church right. and, and they find not only is the music there, but then they can find the teaching. And so I think it's foolish to think that people aren't being sucked into the teaching from the music because that's what happens.
1: Yeah, and there's there's another angle to this too. Because there are a number of people that are saved out of these movements. There are people who are in these um, uh, churches that uh, welcome that kind of teaching, or they may be directly in those churches um, themselves, and they get rescued out of those churches. They they want to go to a place where um, where a church is faithful. It, it is um, just preaching the the word of God. It is trying to be obedient um, to what we see in scripture um, and. and for them when they walk into a church and they're evaluating a church and they see the church playing the same music that is associated with the heretical movements that they're trying to get away from well that's a problem as well you know and there's so much we've said this before there's so much so much good music out there um there are so many um good options out there that uh, you don't need to go to um spoiled sources in order to get just a few good ones
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on a bit. Jude goes on from giving these examples. So he's given examples twice now, right? All from Scripture, the past examples, God's own people in Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels. Then goes on to compare people who creep into the church. So we're talking, again, right, people who are bringing heresies and false teachers and false teachers in his church, goes on to compare them to Cain and Balaam and Korah, um, and and then he goes and he gives five comparisons. This is God's view of false teachers, and I think this, we start to get into the area that's really going to crush this Western idea of niceness, right? We want to be kind, but that is not the same thing as nice. Nice and kind are not the same thing when we look at biblical definitions, so we've got five comparisons in verse 12. If you're listening and you're kind of following along in your Bible, it says these men, who, who are these men, right? These are the men he's talking about who have crept in and they're bringing in destructive heresies and false teachings. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Now, this is an interesting one for me because now I live on the coast. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and and actually, we have uh, someone in our church who works on a on a – tour vessel who actually struck a hidden reef this past week wow there's a picture and 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 instantly i thought about this right because i preached through it you know not too many months ago but but you need to get the picture here the picture here is by the way if you do a a, just a quick google search of ships that have been down by hidden reefs you'll find everything from oil tankers to cruise liners Wow. Who have been sunk by hidden reefs, right? And so the picture here is that they're so dangerous that you, you almost don't know they're there until they've destroyed you. I yeah. mean, this is the picture here, right? You run up on a hidden reef and it rips the hole out of your boat. Water comes crashing in and you've instantly got to do something to patch it up. And this is the picture that he's saying that these false teachers are like hidden reefs. Now, love feasts in the early church were, you know, probably much sort of like our potluck kind of things. Every right, good Baptist right. church does potlucks, right? Yep. Um, and eventually they stopped. We stopped seeing these in scripture and we don't really know why, but I think it's because they've become so corrupt. As so much of of what he mentions here, he says, when they feast without you, they feast without fear, caring for themselves. In other words, they were coming to these feasts, and you know they were eating up all the food. And um, it seems like from historical accounts that you know they were promoting you know kind of gluttonous attitudes and not letting others share in and this type of thing. But they were coming in. And again, they looked like the Christians of the day. They talked like the Christians of the day. And by the time you recognize they were bringing in all this false stuff, it, it was too late. And this is the picture here.
1: Yeah, we, and we have a number of pictures here. Uh, not only the hidden reefs, clouds without water, um, autumn trees without fruits. Uh, we have a lot of examples here of things that look good, maybe from a distance, But upon inspection, they lack the fruit, right? So, this is why John the Baptist said, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus said, you shall know um, a false prophet by its fruit, uh, because a good tree does not produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Um, And and this is part of the characteristics. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier, we don't want to be um, fruit inspectors, and by that, we… We we don't want to make it sound like the way to salvation is by fruit. It's not what you do. And yet at the same time, we are told to evaluate. Um, others by their fruits. Uh, I mean, in terms of their their benefit uh, to the body of Christ, and in the case of those who are creeping in as uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, as um, Satan disguised as an angel of light, the way you're going to discern is um, a combination of both what they're teaching as well as the fruit that you see come out of their ministry. And a great example of this, and I've mentioned this before, as a brand new believer, I, I remember um, watching Joel Osteen, and, and I could see really quickly that that he wasn't uh, he wasn't in the Bible, he wasn't biblical. Um, but I, I couldn't quite spot where the bad fruit was because he's such a happy guy, smiling, just very friendly and all that. And uh, and then it, it suddenly dawned on me when he did that interview with uh, Larry King, and he was asked, "Is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven?" Mm. And his answer was, uh, "Well, I, I don't know. You know, I, I grew up in India, and there was a bunch of people there who don't know God, but they or they don't know Jesus, but they certainly love God. And uh, mm. and that's that's bad fruit." Yeah. You know, so, some yeah. of the, the the fruit that we have to evaluate is not only their lives, but what is it that they say about Jesus Christ? What is it that they say about the gospel? How do they present the faith? Um, do, do they help people um, understand the only way to salvation, or do they muddy the waters and make uh, our faith sound like every any other faith?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, and it, you have all these references here, and clouds without water. Well, what what is that? I mean, if you're a farmer, you know. Um, or if you live in California and you experience droughts, you know, I, I mean, you, it, it, it's the promise of rain that never comes when it's needed. And that's what it's talking about. And, and we get this, right? Um, there, there are guys who come into the church and they promise all these great things. They promise to do these great things, um, wh- whatever it is, to serve, to teach. Uh, and, and then there's just no real fruit from it. Right. And they're carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead. I, I mean, again, just imagine having an orchard filled with trees that year after year don't bear any fruit. Totally worthless. Right. Um, now the next one is really interesting. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame. Like foam. Okay, I want to talk about this one, mostly because it's the summertime, and uh, it, lots of you probably like to go out on the beach and splash around in the sea foam. So I really want to tell you what's in sea foam. Sea foam is predominantly created by all of the decaying matter. <laughs> Wow. Uh, in the ocean, so if, if you look up that, so when you're playing in sea foam, you're you're playing in like stirred up whale carcass and rotted algae and um, all kind of excrement from the fish and things like that. Sea foam is nasty. It's nasty. You,
1: you um, just became the ultimate Debbie Downer to everyone who wants to go to the beach and enjoy the water.
0: <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but I mean, you, you know, so if you're, but if you were wondering why it's a big deal um, that he's comparing false teachers to seafoam, right? It's no. decayed, disgusting, broken down, filthy stuff. And, and it just helps with the imagery because this is what he's saying false teachers are like. Right, they're they're like ocean refuse. Um, It's it's pretty gross, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and so that's what he's comparing false teachers to. This isn't a nice comparison, right? None of these are nice comparisons, right? And then he goes on to talk about how they're wandering stars. You know, that could be a few different things. I I kind of think that's probably shooting stars. You look up, they're like a vapor. They're just there for a moment. There's a quick flash. Right? There's something there, and then there's nothing. They just kind of fade away into darkness. Um, you know, and, and so he goes on and he talks about a little more of their character. They're grumblers. They're constantly finding fault. They're following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. Um, and, and so we, we see all of that in, uh, in, in his epistle here. So, I, I mean, it's interesting because when you read this, um, and, and he's about to make a turning point, so we're going to do a part two uh, to get to get into the next part, and I think we can fill up an episode on that. But you have Jude here who starts off by saying, look, look guys, I, I love the gospel, and I love our common salvation, and that's really what I wanted to write to you. But there was something even more important than talking to you about the gospel right now and that is that there are false teachers and they're so prolific in the church that I need to encourage you to be able to recognize them and to fight for the faith, that you contend yeah. for the faith earnestly. And what's important is he says that it's the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. And that's important because the pre- the, 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 the predominant way in, in which we um, are able to know and discern false teachers is that we know the word of god
1: yes right yeah it all it all comes back to the word of god man shall not live on bread alone but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god and and again the picture and i mentioned this before but uh when, when moses came down off the mountain um the israelites had created the golden calf uh moses basically went through the camp and uh, and, and rebuked them um he, he even smashed the the, the calf into a little golden dust and made them eat of the dust Um, But he also uh, challenged them to to say, okay, um, which side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on your own side? And uh, the ones who refused to repent, he had uh, people go through and basically slay them um take them down. and and this is really about the purity of the body. you know, obviously, we're not going to be violent um, against people. we're not yeah. we're not uh, we're not excusing any kind of um, uh, you know unprovoked violence. Um, but but we do have to uh, contend for the faith in the in the man- manner that we're seeking to preserve the unity and, and the purity of, of the body of Christ. That doesn't mean any of us are perfect, but that does mean that we recognize that there is a perfect standard and we're all seeking to, to, uh, to attain that standard, follow that standard, and to glorify God through that standard.
0: Amen. Well, thank you for that, Eki. I hope this has been helpful. Again, we'll come back and do a part two next week. But remember, we have a command in Scripture to be on guard against those who have crept in unnoticed who would bring in false teachings who would lead the church uh, the sheep of god astray who come in looking like sheep wolves in sheep's clothing, we're commanded to be aware and to watch out for them. It's not something that we can turn a blind eye to. And if we love the truth, we'll do that. And if we love one another, then we want to naturally protect one another from false teachings and false doctrines. So, hope that this has been helpful. Come back and join us next week for the second part, where we're going to wrap up um, Jude's change of focus from uh, warning and showing us how to discover false teachings to what now does the believer have to do about it? How do you do, um, what, what do you do rather, when you discover false teachings and false teachers, so you don't want to miss that. So until next time, let the truth be known.